Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, good morning, beloved. Excellent. See, I knew by Friday we'd all be Baptists. (laughs) Good to see you all this morning and to be together again thinking uh, about God's word. Um, I can't believe it's Friday. The week has gone by uh, so rapidly. Um, And, you know, it's that time to say thank yous. And uh, I want to start by thanking our brother Raymond for his wonderful leadership uh, of these morning times. Uh, He's just sort of ushered us into the presence of the Lord with Psalm 119 and the introduction of the hymns uh, in such a wonderful way. And so thank you, brother, for preparing our hearts in that way. Uh, And I am reminded, you know, one of the things you don't hear much of anymore in the United States are organs. And I am reminded that all the organs that have died on earth have been moved to heaven. Uh, And and thank you, brother, for playing. And uh, we we look forward to the heavenly choir. Uh, We shall hear organs again, some of us. Uh, So it's just been wonderful. Thank you for uh, sharing in that way. And thank all of you uh, for coming and uh, encouraging with your presence uh, and engaging in God's word. Now, I need to ask a special favor of you. I need you to pray for me this morning that I would make it through my talk this morning and not fall asleep up here, okay? All right, so last night I had a proper fish and chips dinner. And this morning Raymond took me to breakfast and I had an Ulster uh, fry. A big Ulster fry. And I knew I was in trouble. I kind of joked over breakfast. I said, well, you know, I look forward to the day at lunch if I don't go back to the room and fall asleep. You know, I was kind of joking and... I walked out of the restaurant and started climbing up the little hill here, and I knew I was in trouble when this this adorable little gray-haired woman passed me like I was standing still. (laughs) And in my pride, I thought I should at least keep up with this elderly woman, but I couldn't even catch her, man. I just thought, okay. And sure enough, I went back to the room, sat on the couch, and I I woke up, and it was 11.15. I thought, oh, my. So pray for me that, <laughs> that, that you don't get a, a recitation of the Ulster Fry up here. Matthew chapter 15. We've been thinking this week about reading the Bible the way our Lord Jesus read the Bible, and by which we mean we wanted to observe how he handled the Scripture uh, as some window onto how we should handle the Scripture. Uh, We just saw in our first talk from Luke 24, really something of Jesus' theology of the Bible, what he understood the Bible to teach about himself and his mission. Um, And then we uh, turn to, um, on Tuesday, we turn to consider from Matthew 4, I believe it was, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, uh, and really read, saw there how Jesus kind of saw Bible reading and his, his, his engagement with the Bible as a very God-centered thing. How, how the worship of God and the will of God came into view for him above all other things, even the kingdoms of the earth. Uh, and then we saw a bit about uh, just this wonderful quality of the scripture, that when we read the Bible, God is speaking to us. Uh, Thus saith the Lord happens every time we open our scriptures and read them in prayer and in faith. 
And so we're coming down here tonight, uh, this morning, to the last of our texts. Uh, and what we wish to consider in this text, in Matthew chapter 15, another interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, is how the whole Bible is for the whole person. That, that the whole Bible is meant to impact all that we are. And there's a certain sense of head, heart, and hands that, that are engaged in the proper reading of the Bible. Uh, and that's what we're going to see here. If, you, if you're taking notes this morning, we just want to see here how the scripture in Jesus' view ought to um, interact with our head, how a proper understanding of the scripture should do something to our hearts, and how all of that should flow out of our hands uh, in active service to the Lord. So Matthew chapter 15, let me read verses 1 to 20. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when, when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, <clears throat> teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would give us clean hearts, that we might be near to you and worship you. And we pray that even now, by the water of your word, you would wash us and cleanse us. That even now, Lord, by your word, you would strengthen us in the faith and grant that we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So we get an interesting little scene here. Again, in verses 1 and 2, you get this discussion, really, this challenge that comes from the, the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And notice in verse 1, they, they came from Jerusalem down to where Jesus was. So apparently already Jesus is attracting uh, a lot of attention. And they come with a question in order to 
tempt Jesus, to test Jesus. They ask, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat? See, we know right from this verse that all mothers are really Pharisees because they insist that little kids wash their hands before they eat, right? Why do they not wash their hands when they eat? This is part of the tradition of the elders. This is part of the the sort of developing body of doctrine that, that the religious leadership had accumulated and systematized and canonized over and above the scripture. Uh, and here it's assumed that, that a good Jewish person, yes, would, would honor Torah, would honor the law of God, but also would honor the elders and the teaching of the elders, would bring themselves under the tradition, and apparently Jesus hadn't. And this is where we see the head issue at play. So notice how Jesus responds to them in verses 3 to 6. He says, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition?" In other words, he's sort of bringing into their focus, which is more important, the tradition of men or the very commandment of God. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. He quotes there from the Old Testament. He quotes there uh, from the Ten Commandments, from the the heart of the law there. Honor your father and your mother. That that first commandment with promise so that your days would be long in, in, in the earth, right? And, and, and then he quotes again uh, from the Old Covenant uh, about the penalty that goes along with not honoring your father and mother. And that, that was death. So holy, so serious is his law. Now rather than stop with God's word, rather than apply God's word as it is, Rather than commit themselves to understanding God's word and humbling themselves beneath God's word, notice what Jesus says they did in verse 5. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God or offered to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You see what they've done there. This, this idea of honoring your father and your mother would have included not only respecting them, but also would have included caring for them materially and financially, particularly in their, in their older age. And, and the Pharisees here now have, have sort of devised a different system, though. They've said, basically, look, if you have given to God in the worship of God what, what would have gone to your parents, well, then you've honored your, your parents, you know, you, you, you've kind of paid that debt, right? So, so mom, dad, um, yeah, I don't have to give you anything to care for you or support you because guess what? I gave at the office. I gave at the temple. I gave in the worship of God. Now, no doubt they thought that was some kind of application of the scriptures. Uh, no doubt they thought that there was some, some way of sort of uh, the, the heart there or the, the idea there might, might have been in fact a, to, as it were, honor God above all others. But in devising their own tradition, in, in sort of setting about their own course, they dishonored parents and the God who commanded to honor parents. And in this tradition, notice what Jesus says in verse 6. For the sake of this tradition, they have made void. They have made empty. They have made futile. They have made powerless. The very 
word of God itself. My teenage daughter, who's now 16, probably six months ago, woke up one morning and decided she was going to be a vegan. This has given me all kinds of heartburn. (laughs) No more meats, no more dairy products. And I'm really quite proud of her. She's been very diligent, very faithful to her diet. She's been very principled about it and and not at all kind of an advocate about it as though the rest of us must be vegans. Uh, And and thank God because an Ulster fry is meant to be eaten. (laughs) But she's decided that she, she wants to be a vegan, and, and now she's just very, very careful with everything that she eats. And, and, and she loves those, those containers that come with the label, no additives or preservatives. Nothing added to it. It is what it's supposed to be. It's, it's clean. It's pure. And so it is with the Word of God. We should have printed on our Bibles, no additives or preservatives. No tradition of men, no, no insertion of man-made synthetic things, only the, the pure and undiluted word of God. Because here's the thing, beloved, if we add anything to the word, we lose everything in the word. It's that way with the gospel. If we add anything to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, any man-made requirements, any, any legalistic requirements, then all that Christ has done for us on the cross becomes void to us. This is the argument of Paul in Galatians chapter 5 when he's tending with the Judaizers who said, listen, yes, 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 faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is required, but you also must be circumcised. And Paul says, if you add circumcision, don't you know that you're then bound to the rest of the law? And Christ is of no profit to you. You have fallen away from grace. What's he arguing there? He says, listen, it is Jesus alone, righteous and perfectly obedient to God, crucified as an atonement for our sins, resurrected from the grave. He alone is satisfaction of God's wrath and satisfaction of God's righteousness. If you add anything to Jesus, then Jesus becomes nothing. But Jesus plus nothing is everything. We are saved not by righteous works that we do and certainly not by the traditions of men. We are saved by God's grace alone. It's nothing that we earn. Through faith in Jesus Christ alone, adding nothing to his work for the glory of of God alone. This is the good news. Those little, that little word alone means so much. It means everything. So that if we are trusting in Christ alone to be our righteousness before God and to be our sin bearer, taking away the wrath of God, if we are trusting in Jesus alone, we have everything that is in Jesus and promised through Jesus. And and, and in like fashion, that's the way the word of God works. And so when we come to the word of God, we want to come thinking not to add anything, but to understand effectively what's there and to accept what's there and not to change it for our tradition. Let me show you a second thing. 
This is related, what we do here with our heads in approaching the scripture is related to what happens in our hearts. Notice there in verse 7, Jesus says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. There, our Lord reaches not, not, not to the law of Moses as he did in verse 4, but here now he reaches to Isaiah, the prophet. Isaiah 29, verse 13, I believe it is, where Isaiah, speaking to Israel in his day, prophesied these very words. That, that God spoke through Isaiah and said, listen, Israel has a problem. They have a significant problem. Their lips are detached from their hearts. They praise me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. What a desperate condition that is. I've been there. I I, I was there when I was an an active Muslim. I, I would have told you that I was praising and serving and submitting to God. But I didn't know God. I wasn't his. And I've been there as a professing Christian. Maybe you have too. Brother led us so well in the singing of our opening song. But we are panting after God. And it reminds us that we can, we can sing that song as a prayer because there are seasons of dryness in our life and seasons of disobedience in our life and seasons of distraction in our life that would, that would make that song seem to be false to us. Suggest to us that we're not panting after God like the deer after the water. What do you do with that when your lips sing better than your heart feels? Well, Jesus here instructs us that our worship should not just be in word only, but that our Lord is after our hearts. Which is another way of saying he's after all of us. He's, he's after the whole person. He's after the, the very seat of our soul, the, the center of our being, the citadel of our spirit. That he would have all of us or we would have none of him. He's not a partial Lord or a partial Savior. With his blood, he's purchased every aspect of us. Head and heart. And so the best worship that we offer up to God is worship offered from an honest heart. Worship offered from a heart that is transparent before God. A heart that that cries to God genuinely I I love you Lord above all things. Or a heart that cries out to God I know that you're God but I do not understand what's happening here. Or a heart that cries out to God I will follow but I'm afraid. You know, it's not that the heart must always be this unshakable um, lion heart. No, it's that the heart must always be honest, must always be true in its brokenness and its beauty, in its pain and its power, in its sorrow and its soaring. But what God calls us to is a, is a heart that, that gives voice to honesty, 
and an honesty that grows up from that word which has been understood by the head. He didn't ever call us to be perfect, beloved, or even have perfect feelings. He calls us to be trusting. And he calls us to be honest before him. And so Jesus understands when he raises this condemnation of the Pharisees, I I think in part what we're to uh, sort of infer from this is that our Bible reading is meant to make us honest before God. As we read our Bibles, the Bibles also read us, don't they? You know, that's, that's one of the reasons why so many people don't, they don't want to come close to the book because they read things there that disturb them. You know, it's still there. It's not that many people disagree with the Bible, but the Bible disagrees with so many people. We can't bear it. So we'd rather tweak it. We'd rather do something different with it. I'm reminded of the story. You'll remember this story from the Gospels when Jesus and his disciples were in the temple and they were watching as people gave their offerings. I'm glad the offering's already taken. You'll know that this is not shilling for money. (laughs) They were watching as people were giving their offerings. You remember this? And people came by and they gave out of their abundance. And, you know, the religious folks, the scribes and Pharisees, they they tithe. and, And there's this little widow woman who comes and she has two mites and she drops it all in the offering. Now let me pause right there. If that woman had come to you and say all I have is two mites. I don't have bread in the cupboard or milk in the fridge. I got two mites. I'm thinking of offering them to the Lord. What what do you think the Lord would have me do? How would you answer them? Misery loves company. Someone asked me that question once and I I felt caught because I realized I probably would have said something like, God understands. And the two mites came from God. That's probably the means of purchasing the bread. Don't raise your hands, but how many of us would have said something along those lines? Yeah? I was reading Randy Alcorn's book, Money, Possession, and Eternity, where I got stuck on this. And he pointed out, That Jesus commends this woman for giving all that she had to the Lord. And I realized that in that moment, I was doing two things. Trusting the Lord less than that woman. And probably making my own little tradition. How I could satisfy God in some way. Without doing what God had called this woman to do. You see, the danger that the Pharisees fell into is one that we can fall into, well-meaning. And the further danger is the heart kind of slides away or maybe grows a little colder or a little less zealous. When Paul says in Romans 12, 8, um, do not lose your zeal. But, but stir yourself up. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And that serving the Lord looks like a, a, a dedicated, intentional, happy obedience to the word of God. You remember what Jesus says in John chapter 15 uh, and thereabouts. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
That's the Christian life. And that's why we read the Bible. is so that the Bible will help us to understand what God requires of us. And with full heart, with true heart, I should say, even if it's a troubled heart, we obey God. Because we love him. And we know that we love him because he first loved us. This is the privilege that we have to bring our heads under the word and to have our hearts set on fire. Jesus seems to indicate that's what should happen as we, as we read the word. And his heart really is the, the center of the person and his heart is what, what gives rise to what happens with our hands. Notice now in verses 10 and following. He called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Now, one thing about people like the Pharisees who are outwardly religious, but inwardly, as Jesus put it, full of dead men's bones, is they don't really like to be showed up. They like their traditions, and in the multiplication of traditions, they find power and prestige. And so to break the tradition or to question the tradition, well, that, that kind of that angers people. And, and again, we can, we can be like this too, although we don't think of ourselves as Pharisees, and uh, maybe not to this extent, but we can be like this too. You know the joke about the guy who uh, went to a new church and uh, for some reason wanted to move the piano from one side of the church to the other side of the church? And his first business meeting, he suggested that, and, and he, got, he got fired. And so he went away, and some years later, the church was celebrating an anniversary, and they invited all the former pastors, and, and this guy got invited too, and he came back to the church some years later, and there's a, another pastor there, and lo and behold, the church had been moved from that side of the, the, the piano moved from that side of the church to this side of the church. And after the festivities, he goes up to the guy, he says, I... I tried to move that piano and the people wouldn't let me. They said, we've always had it over there. We're going to have it over there until Jesus comes. And I got fired. He said, how did, how did you move the piano from this side of the church to that side of the church? And the fellow said, one inch every week. <laughs> we can love our traditions, can't we? You know? And our traditions can give us a sense of person and power. But Jesus says, now, you know, the real interesting thing here, the really important thing is where our actions come from. They come from the heart. And the really important thing is, is, is that we can't be defiled by from what comes, what comes from without, what goes in the mouth, to use the, the language here. But we're defiled by what, what comes out of the mouth. For, for out of, as, as the writer says in the wisdom literature, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so Jesus here wants a, a clean heart, because out of it are the issues of life. The Pharisees were offended, but what does that matter when we're talking about hearts true before God? And so verse 13, he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guys. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. That's the Pharisees' future. Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And Jesus gives the parable down in verse 17. 
Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a man. An unclean heart is what defiles a man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. When we start our new church, the first verse I'm going to have the kids commit to memory is verse 20. (laughs) To eat with unwashed hands, mommy, (laughs) does not defile anyone. But now we can take verses 18 and 19 and put them in the positive too. So Jesus here is explaining defilement because that's the context. But, but we can also sort of turn that to its inverse. That, that, that love comes out of a clean heart. A new heart. That joy comes out of a, a holy heart. That, that self-control kindness, patience, all the fruit of the Spirit come out of this transformed heart which comes as a result of the work of God's Word by the Spirit in our lives. And and, and so protecting the life of our neighbor and and being chaste, um, giving rather than stealing, speaking the truth and honoring others, all those come out of the heart too. But they come out of a heart as I said a moment ago, that have been washed by the water of God's word. They come out of a heart that has been reading the Bible faithfully and in faith. That has been coming to the Bible understanding that God speaks here and and he speaks here to to shape my very thoughts and he, he shapes my thoughts in order to shape my heart and he shapes my heart in order to put my hands to work. Not in the works of unrighteousness, but in the, in the fruitful works of righteousness. There's a kind of explosion that happens. The, the fuse is lit in the mind. The, the, the bomb explodes in the heart and, and the energy comes out the hands. And so the reach of the Christian is, is lengthened and, and broadened, uh, beginning with the reading of the word. The, 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 the power of the Christian is, is magnified to, to exponential, explosive extent, beginning with the reading of the word, which changes the heart. And, and so we come to the Bible in order to read the word this way, to understand not merely that we might know a little bit more Bible data, but so that we might bring it down into the, the center of ourselves and have it there massage the heart. And have our hearts beating true before God. And have that life of God in the soul of man, as McShane put it, flow out of our hands and our conduct. I mean, beloved, the simple way to put this is, if we read the Bible the way Jesus read the Bible, it will transform us. It will transform us because it will address our head and it will affect our heart and it will motivate our hands to do what's in the heart maybe I can illustrate this as I close with with two things one negative one positive don't raise your hands but how many of you are like me 
if you don't meet with the Lord in his word for a day or maybe a couple of days, those days seem to go wrong right from the beginning. And you notice yourself thinking things or feeling things that feel not like you. Maybe a little bit more snappy, your words a little bit more sharp, or you're perhaps a bit impatient, or, or things just aggravate you. you know? And then you can trace that back to, I've not met with the Lord this morning. Or, or I haven't met with the Lord for a few days. What are we observing there? Are we, we're observing the, 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 the sort of missing of this very process of sitting with Jesus, of having him shape our perspective and our hearts and having that change how we live. And, and, and that's, that, that little negative example is more noticeable the more faithful you've been in the scripture. The longer we have been away from the scripture, the harder it is to notice that. Why? Because the good things that the Bible places in our hearts when we read it like Jesus have been diminishing. We've been depleting the tank. And we get used to running on empty. And so it's harder to observe what's happening to the heart. But the more frequently you feed the heart, the word of God, the more sensitive we become to, to our own perspective, our own hearts, and, and, and more sensitive we become to how we are engaging with people around us. And so maybe even from those moments or those days where we have missed meeting with the Lord, we could see how valuable it is to read the Bible like Jesus and to do it every day. Now let me conclude with a second little thing here that maybe would be helpful. It's a song that we sing. Um, maybe you sing it here too. Hey, you know this little song called Trust and Obey? Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I like that little song. It's a profound, simple truth. That if we would trust the word of God and we would commit ourselves to obey the word of God, that we will be happy in Jesus. And what a marvelous thing that is, to be happy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, there, is, there really is no other way than to trust him in his word, to obey him in his word, and to live for him as a consequence. That's the surest path of joy. That everlasting joy that he's promised all of us who follow him. Let's read our Bibles a bit more like Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh Father, we do give you praise and thanks for your word. And we fear we have not thanked you enough for the gift of your word. We fear that perhaps on too many occasions we have taken your word for granted. We, we live in countries and in places, most of us, where your word is as near as our coffee table and as available as the internet provided for purchase with different bindings and different gildings and 
different sides, print. Oh, Lord, you have made your word so plentiful to us. And forgive us if we have not adequately grasped what a great blessing that is. And grant us, O Lord, repentance, if that is true of us. So that we might, Lord, with a, a turned heart, a heart freshly turned to you again in faith, we might come to your word and we might hear you speak there and we might see you in your word and we might, O oh Lord, be drawn closer to you that we might have true hearts and we might have holy hands because we have, O oh Lord, sat beneath your word. Meet us each day several times a day. Give us such a ravenous hunger for your word that we, we keep it with us and we, we steal every moment to, to peek in perhaps to a verse or two as we wait for an appointment or perhaps as we sit in traffic, Lord. Help us to keep your word in our ears, whether it's the preaching of your word or, or maybe it's radio or maybe it's your word song. Grant that we should love this. Grant that we should give ourselves to it. The way your dear son, our great savior, loved it and gave himself to it. That we might grow by it. And we might, Lord, rejoice in his treasures. Help us, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.